everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Night's Narrative with Zev Shalev and Noel Kassler is here. How are you doing, Noel? I'm excellent, Zev. Glad to be here, man. You've changed your look and it looks very impressive, but I miss your beard. What can I say? Thank you. Thank you. It's my spring cleaning. Yeah, uh, will we see it back again in the future? I hope we'll see the beard in the future at some point. It's a whole look, oh, but it'll come back. I didn't want to look too much like a proud boy. Good segue, because that's a big story that's coming up tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Proud Boys and China. Another thing we're going to do tonight is talk a lot about Rudy Giuliani and uh, and uh, your old, your friend. I guess he's still your friend. Is, would you say Donald Trump is still your friend? <laughs> no. your one-time friend donald trump yeah, <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to do something different than we normally do we're going to count down the top stories of the day yeah, what is the your memory of rudy giuliani and donald trump that you can share with us oh man having known both men in new york city and having worked on events with both men i i tell people this if you think donald trump is a horrible person you should meet rudy giuliani because <laughs> wow. giuliani invented that narcissistic ego kind of rage and you know, they've been tied together since the 80s and they had the same sort of dictatorship desire for power coupled with extreme narcissism. And the first time I had any contact, and I had family that were journalists that had to cover Giuliani and hated it, like left their magazine so they wouldn't have to write about Rudy anymore. <laughs> and then Rudy came back after 9-11 and became a national story and they ironically still had to write about him. But the first time I worked with him was on the Goodwill Games in the late 90s in New York City. And we did an event, it was the opening ceremony. This was Ted, Ted Turner's kind of Olympic type event. And we had an opening ceremony down at the Winter Garden down at Bryant Park, at Battery Park at 9-11, essentially, before, there was, before it was called 9-11, yeah. down at the World Trade Center. And we had this big opening ceremony, and Jimmy Carter was there, and George Pataki, who was in this huge rivalry with Giuliani his entire career, Ted Turner, and all these guys, they're waiting on stage. And it was time to go get Rudy, and I went into the makeup room. We had, like, next door a dressing room, and I went in there, and Rudy's kind of splayed out on in his makeup chair, talking to the pretty makeup artist, like not laying how most guys would. His crotch was very prominent. And he was I think we saw of, that in the movie Borat. I think he did it. Right. He, it. he yeah. was in, he yeah, was that in same Borat scene, yeah. position long yeah. before Borat, <laughs> which in hindsight, you know, I just realized this week, like that's a strange way to sit. But so he's maxing back there late, yeah. languishing in the makeup chair. And I say, Mr. Mr. Mayor, it's time to bring you down the stage now. And he turns to me and he had his side, his piece yeah. of script yeah. in front of him. He crumples it up. This is his words, not mine. Can I curse on the show? You can. He said, I'm not fucking saying that. And he throws it across the room and it literally hits me in the face, this crumpled wow. up ball of paper. This is the first time I'm meeting the guy, you know, who's, well, there you who's go. The, the mayor of New York City. I'm not fucking saying that. So I'm like, and all okay. with these jewels on display or almost on display. So that must be. Um, yeah, you know. exactly. Right. So he throws it at me. I get on the headset. I'm like, Giuliani is not coming to stage. They're like, we're live in 10 minutes. Get him out of that chair and get him down here. And I'm like, come on, sir. We'll change it on the teleprompter when we get to stage. And he's like, I'm not falling for that shit. You change it now and send me a hard copy. Which I was shocked at, like how savvy he was yeah. about how production worked. You know, I was like, "Do you work on the show? Like, how do you know there's a script department?" You know, like, I, and uh, so I'm going back and forth with him, and I'm in the middle of this, and and I finally got him out of there. You know, and uh, the joke was, "Welcome to New York City. It's a beautiful city. Just don't jaywalk." And it was, you know, a self-deprecating joke that he was going to deliver because he yeah. was sort of 
getting criticized at that point in his tenure. This was the late nineties for being sort of a little dictator, a Mussolini, you know, but I learned two things about him in that moment. One thing, he was a rageful egoist who didn't care who he yelled at. Because I, I, I told that story to, to friends and, and family that covered him. And they're like, he does that all the time. That's mm. how he talks to journalists in his office at City Hall. He'll just say, that's a stupid fucking question. It's a thing you do in I New mean, York when you're a politician, though, I think. I think. I'm not sure. But if you right. look at Cuomo and, and company, I mean, it's sort of how they operate. But that could be a... Well, you know, no, he, yeah, he came out of that Alphonse D'Amato, that era of yeah. kind of tough guy New Yorkers, you know, I cleaned up the city, uh, brass tacks, you know, no BS. But the other thing he was doing, he was keeping everybody else waiting. You know, President Carter, who was a former mm. president at that point, but a former president, you know, yeah. the governor of New York State and Ted Turner, who could, you know, buy and sell Trump, you know, I mean, Trump, Rudy Giuliani a thousand times, his ego wanted to keep them waiting on that stage. You know, uh, later in hindsight, so much. right? He he sort of did this performative bullying with with an ulterior motive of, of of screwing the other guy and making everybody wait for him, and then being like larger than life in his histrionics. And that's Trump one hundred and one. And Trump got a lot of that kind of stuff from Rudy. They were they were twins in that respect in New York, and they both their rise. Their rises to power, you know, were, were parallel to each other. I was going to say that they actually did rise at exactly the same time. There's a, a Man of the Year edition, which I think you might have some familiarity with. But then that edition is Rudy Giuliani is one of the Men of the Year, and Donald Trump is one of the Men of the Year, the top up and coming New York men, and yeah. and both of them were on the rise at the same time. Now, little did we know that they were probably coordinating things together in some respects, especially with the way Giuliani brought down the mob. There's a known event where Trump was testifying against uh, one of these mobsters on behalf of Giuliani's prosecution, meaning he basically ratted them out. Uh, and that's how he got away without getting charged for his party in the crime. It's really interesting to, see, to hear you say that they rose together uh, and now their fates are meeting again at their end of their uh, long lives. Because here we are where it's really going to be a question of whether Rudy Giuliani flips on Donald Trump. This investigation is interesting on its own, and we'll get way into it later in the show. I've got all the receipts you could possibly want about what this is about. It's also about will he flip at the end of the day? And because who else can flip on Donald Trump? Really, there's only a few who could give you all the dirt that you need. Jared right. Kushner and uh, Rudy Giuliani is the other guy. I think we're in for, in for an interesting ride in this prosecution, and maybe this is just the beginning stages. But we'll get to all of that a little later on. I want to do the first story of the day. This is something you pointed to earlier on today. These, the Proud Boys, who are white supremacists, or maybe they're not exclusively white supremacists, they're these militias that are in favor of Western civilization, or call them what you will, right. but basically they're white supremacists. They have been receiving funding from an unusual source, and one of those sources is Chinese nationals, Taiwanese nationals, people from China sending donations in to the Proud Boys. This is a story that appeared today in the USA Today, and here's the story itself. They're getting a huge amount of the Proud Boys funding is coming from the China, from Chinese citizens, from yeah. China, and from yeah. people associated with Falun Gong, the same way a lot of the Trump rallies were getting infiltrated and supported by the Falun Gong, which is very ironic, since, as you pointed out, the, the Proud Boys are supposed to be this white supremacist nationalist organization. And, and Trump spent his four years railing against China and bragging about how he was standing up to China and his de facto army was the Proud Boys and they were being funded by the Chinese. And I'll point out, so was Trump, by the way. Trump had a Chinese bank account. He, yeah. re he rented an entire floor in Trump Tower, the 23rd floor. He's rent rented to the Chinese 
bank, the largest bank in China since 2008. You know, he makes yeah. $4 million a year on that property alone off the Chinese. It was a so, $200 million loan that he, you know, no one's, no one's quite sure where that loan sits, right. but I believe it still is a loan that he owes them money, even though it might have been hidden by the Chinese. But that's $200 million. That's not the kind of loan you go, you know, don't get from strangers. But it's interesting that they also claim they spoke to a couple of these Chinese nationals, and even some of them who are, who are in the United States who are supporting the Proud Boys, that a lot of them said that there is a sort of appeal to the Proud Boys amongst Chinese uh, people of Chinese origin. And I was like, what kind of appeal could there be for the Proud Boys for Asian Americans? It just makes no sense to me because clearly that's not there. It doesn't make sense. But apparently there's some sort of appeal. It appeals to some sort of conservatism that runs deep within the Asian community. Yada. I just, I know the Asian community is very sensitive about anything these days. And I know that they get very concerned about getting pigeonholed into anything. But this is insane that the same people who are out there saying, you know, stop the Asian hate are out there funding the Asian haters. It makes no sense to me that these guys are the ones that they're funding and why they're funding it. And there's no excuse for it at all. We're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is before January the 6th, which is also important. And the other thing is, I remember that during January the 6th, one of the things that was most intriguing to me is why they were all using Chinese-made walkie-talkies, of all things. You can get walkie-talkies from anywhere. Why use Chinese-made walkie-talkies? Probably because they sent them to them. There's a, you know, more than a suggestion that there's a lot of Chinese activity around what has happened in the last few years in America, including people like Eric Prince, including people like um, Deng, Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy Deng. Deng yeah, yeah. She's a Chinese spy. Remember yeah. Jared Kushner and, and Ivanka were warned about her, that they their friend and their business partner, Wendy Dang, was a Chinese national and spy. And they were warned about staying away from her. Of course, they ignored it, which is what they do. And, but, uh, right. You know, but, and she put them back together, too. I've told that story on your show before. They had broken up. In the time I worked on The Celebrity Apprentice, they had broken up. And then Wendy Dang Mur Murdoch took them together and like took Ivanka on a yacht, like on a cruise and was like, no, you guys need to get back together. And then next thing I knew they were getting married in 2010 or whatever. Wow. So she, she was like, she put them back together as this power couple on the international stage with this larger plan afoot. You and, sort of underline you know, that. You're talking about a Chinese spy putting together Trump and Jared, Tr uh, Tr Ivanka Trump and Jared back together. That's amazing. Yeah. It's and, amazing and to me that ex-girlfriend, or well, so they claim, yeah, and Rupert Murdoch's ex-wife, <laughs> who owns Fox News. It's so close. I don't know any of people who are involved in Fox News or the ownership of Fox News, and I don't know anyone who's encouraging me to marry anybody else or anyone else I know to be married to anybody else, and who happens to be an Asian spy, Chinese spy. But, but this, these people do. They all seem to be connected somehow to to Wendy Deng and the Chinese somehow. And think about who the major liaison is between the Trump world and the proud boys that's roger stone yeah. so roger stone had was involved with everything trump did beginning before his campaign through the campaign and whatever so who you mentioned like about the radios and stuff it came down to funding once mm -hmm. Trump lost that election, they they had a plan B, which was to foment all this unrest and organize it. That's why they had a couple dry run rallies in Washington, D.C. It's documented that Roger Stone was meeting the Proud Boys. One of the heads of the Proud Boys came to the White House a few weeks before January 6th, the Enrique, Enrique Tarrio or whatever. Mm -hmm. You need funding. So if they're like, hey, we're putting together an army you know, for the man, for Trump, and we'll get you guys some funds. What's, what's a better way to do that behind the scenes than get these sort of anonymous donations from 
Chinese individual citizens. It could be representing the Chinese government. It could be representing anybody who wants to destabilize American democracy. And the fact that it's done under the guise of white supremacy oh, and yeah. nationalist interests, it just plays into the con that Trump and these guys are running all along. Right, He's getting these in, in, impressionable white guys in America and women to, to think that they're fighting uh, on behalf of a great patriot and to save a nation. And really, they're participating in a grift by some shady con men from New York City that are, are completely in bed with Chinese and Russian interests going back 30, 40 years. Yeah, let me read you a section of this article. It says their gifts, meaning the Chinese nationals who donated all this money to the charity, so through the platform Give, Send, Go, which I've never heard of before. It says their gifts made up more than 80% of the $106,000 right. raised for medical costs for members of the Proud Boys who were stabbed during violent clashes in the Washington, in, in the mid-December rallies. Because remember those earlier rallies in December, mm -hmm. you said there were dry runs. They probably were. And so some of the some of the Proud Boys were stabbed there. And so the fund that was set up was 80% funded by Chinese nationals. 80. 80. They were funding it. And that's Roger Stone. You know, Roger Stone was there for those rallies. And Mike Flynn, I might add, who's still having rallies. Those were the two generals, basically, in charge of this thing. I'd say Paul Manafort was a behind-the-scenes mastermind. But the boots-on-the-ground commanders were Mike Flynn and Roger Stone. They were Absolutely. there for all of those events. You've had Sandy Bacon on your show. She talks about that. I mean, it's all right there. It is right it's there. very easy to connect these dots. It's in plain day, which goes to Trump's MO all along. He, he basically does this stuff right in front of you and right. dares you to stop him. And nobody ever really does. Now, this is what they're arguing. This is some of these people who uh, the USA Today uh, reporter contacted. They're arguing this is why they've, did it. they've done this. They've supported the Proud Boy. They said, you have to understand how we feel. We came from communist China and we managed to come here and we appreciate it here so much, said Rebecca Roan, Kwan, sorry, who sent the Proud Boys $500 on Christmas Day. The Proud Boys are for Trump and they are fighting Antifa and... Can you see anything good that Antifa did except destroy department stores and small businesses? It's unbelievable this is being said by someone who probably is part of the same community that is saying don't attack us because of the of these random attacks that have been happening, which are awful and despicable and all of that. So is this. I mean, there's absolutely no reason for any Chinese national to be um, funding another country's insurrection, which is basically what they were doing here. They, they hate communism. But they love democracy, but they are they funding dictators? I don't get it. Makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me. Now, if you're supporting the Proud Boys, you're supporting an autocracy. You're not supporting a democracy, which is more likely to be a lot more like communist China than it ever was, than, than the United States ever will be. So a lot of things in the Trump world are made in China. A lot of things. Donald Trump himself, $200 million in debt to China, plus the bank account you mentioned. Eric Prince, until recently, worked for the Chinese through his company until they fired him recently, a couple of weeks ago. Eric Prince worked for the Chinese. Now, why was he working for the Chinese? Nobody knows, but there he is. Steve Bannon used to work for a Hong Kong gaming company where he made a lot of his early money that was also believed to be tied to Chinese intelligence. Sheldon Adelson, who just took all his money from Vegas and left because he wanted yeah. to go to that island resort in China where they've got their big yeah. casinos. I don't remember where that is, but just to underline that point, that that money, ultimately, that he funded Netanyahu and he funded Trump, all that money probably came from the Chinese. 
Jared and Ivanka, we've spoken about now. Jared, remember earlier on in the Trump administration was involved in selling those condos for passports thing. And well, it is not him, but his company was, the Christian companies were in, in China. And then Ivanka got all those trademarks. Yep. Um, worth a fortune, worth a fortune. Yep. And then Wendy Deng, we've mentioned, of course, Fox News as Rupert Murdoch can't stop supporting Donald Trump, even if he tries and continues to be the disinformation agent that must be making everyone in Beijing smile like crazy. I mean, all of this looks like a giant operation to me. And it also helps to note that, of course, that one of the biggest supporters of the Chinese and and their biggest partners in the world are the Russians, because in fact, they're in a big alliance together. Vladimir Putin and Xi, they're uh, allied, they have been together for a lot of the last century, if you think about it, and yeah. they continue to be close to each other. They've got a plan, which is about reinventing the world in terms of an autocratic vision that they have. And these two people are doing it. So it's interesting that those are the two people that not only attacked an American democracy in 2016, and again in 2020, but also it's where the coronavirus came from. I'm not saying that they sent it here in any way, but I'm just saying that the person that they installed failed to deal with it in any effective way. And that's why we have such a serious coronavirus outbreak in the United States is because the president that they installed, these two gentlemen installed, those two people, that's the reason we have ultimately a, a such a huge coronavirus problem in the United States today. Because I think there's still you know, a lot of culpability which we have to learn about in terms of coronavirus, in terms of the things that Jared Kushner could have done and didn't do, and the things that Donald Trump could have done and should, and should have done and then failed to do. And that's how we got to the death count we're at today. Absolutely. And you mentioned Rupert Murdoch, who is still going full bore against vaccines at this point. Oh, Tucker Carlson every night is like an anti-vaxxer at this point. And I'll say one more thing. You made an excellent point talking about while Trump was installed by them as president, think of the gains that each of those men made as leaders of their countries. China, full speed ahead with Silk Road, with moving into Africa, moving in infrastructure all over, sort of Antarctica, down by Australia, increasing their naval position like really just taking over a lot of territory. And then Russia destabilizing Europe, getting us to back, weaken NATO, pull out of all these treaties, open skies treaties, pull troops out of Syria. And he got a wish list. They both did. So you can see how a group of men, a cabal like you showed on the screen before, saying, look, there's a lot of money here, guys. It's easy money and they don't ask any questions, but this is the price of it. We have to take power in the US and let them do whatever we want or whatever they want. And the only way to really do that successfully is how they did it, to tie their support in with nationalism, in with white supremacy, in with charismatic, for lack of a better term, organizations like the Proud Boys that had this visceral appeal to these disaffected white guys that weren't sophisticated enough to to put the the things together and be like, wait, why am I taking orders from Roger Stone or, or Eric Prince or Jared Kushner, like bought and paid for by the Chinese, basically. Right, it's a perfect crime. But Mm. the dude driving the big pickup truck with the American flag on it, with his little black polo shirt and his gold leaf, Proud Boys on his way to D.C. to kick some ass on Antifa, isn't thinking about all that stuff. He's thinking he feels empowered, and there's a guy waving a flag who's saying all the right things, and the other guy, I don't understand what he's saying. He's representing Black Lives Matter and all this bullshit. I don't want to hear about. 
about was the perfect storm and it still exists. None of it has really been weakened in terms of what got them there and what got Trump to power. Why is the Republican Party standing in the way of an investigation into all of this? Why is there not going to be a coherent investigation into January the 6th? And you're looking at possibly the answer of all of it. It's because when you scratch the surface, it's not very hard to see who's actually funding all of this. Who's actually funding all of this is probably the Chinese and the Russians. To some extent, I'm sure there's a lot of white nationalists and very wealthy. They call themselves libertarians. I'd, I right. call them you know, fascists, whatever you want to call them, who have put a lot of money into this. I'm sure the Koch brothers and the, and the DeVosses and all of those have paid, spent a lot of money on this. But ultimately, this last act, this insurrection act, and now that we have proof that the Chinese were actually funding a piece of this, I mean, it looks ridiculous. It looks like the Chinese were actually trying to um, overthrow our democracy, which is in fact exactly what their goal is. Their goal is to show us how democracy is ineffective and to prove to everyone else in the world that their system is more effective than our system. So it does actually make sense that they would fund an insurrection that could be threatening our democracy or at least raises questions about it. Absolutely. And it makes sense that the political party that allowed that to happen, that went with it to the point that they crossed the line, where Josh Hawley was raising his fist and cheering these guys on, where Ron Johnson was getting on a plane with six other senators on the 4th of July and taking a meeting in Moscow in 2018. Mitch McConnell was taking money from Deripaska yeah, and all didn't these even guys. Include, uh, what's his, his wife's name? The, the former Transportary... Secretary of Transportation. She helped increase the net value of her family's Chinese holdings, which revolves around remodeling ships, she increased their holdings dramatically during the period of time when she was the exactly. transportation minister. Not to mention all the other you know, graft that went on. Insane. Next up, Jason Leopold at BuzzFeed has had this uh, incredible campaign for the last few years where he's basically been getting these FOIA requests for all the redacted Mueller documents and all the supporting documents related to the Mueller report. And he got another big tranche of them in this the last few days, and he's been digging through them. Some of them are really interesting. Did you have a chance to uh, look through any of these and, and did anything catch your eye? I did. Well, the Kissinger one was most of interest to me, and I love how it was worded. If Henry will see Trump, <laughs> Trump should go see Henry. And it was just funny to think of Kissinger sitting over there in the River House over on Sutton Place, like contemplating taking a meeting with Trump. And maybe he'll come around to some of Kissinger's thoughts on this stuff. And they really were trying. Stuff. It's, it's incredibly interesting. And you know, my grandfather worked with Richard Nixon for all of his career oh, really? got in a fight with yeah and got in a fight with Kissinger over the bombing of Cambodia and moved my family out of the United States really in, in the late 60s to, to Ireland to County Cork Ireland my grandfather spent his whole career working for Nixon essentially he was a foreign service officer he was in that uh, limousine in Caracas when they got attacked if you ever remember that famous footage that was my grandfather was in it with him and told Nixon not to drive through the center of town that they were going to attack us because we just like fomented a coup and Nixon was like no I'm going anyway and they got in the thing and then got attacked and my grandfather oh, wow. was like I'm never going to see my kids again because so anyway he didn't he hated Nixon but he was attached to him as a foreign service officer he was there in Vietnam at the beginning of the war in the early 60s and stuff and by the end Kissinger only had Nixon's ear. Nixon would only listen to Kissinger with his draconian policies and his cheating and pulling out of oh. the Paris deal in 68 and stuff. So it was just interesting that they tried to get Trump in a line with somebody who would be his sort of mentor, mentor mm. now that he was becoming president, that could help him sew up a dictatorship 
yeah. for lack of a better word. All those documents basically show them like, how do we tie this up and get like solid Russian advice and Kissinger? How do we sell off the American presidency? That's what those documents look like to me. It looks like Jared walking around being like, oh my God, how do we sew this whole thing up and make sure the interests that we represent are fully represented when we get to Washington? And those were not the interests of the American people. Absolutely not. It's interesting. Kissinger is also a lifelong friend of Vladimir Putin. He gives him a lot of advice still to this day. And so it's not, the, I would say that the, uh, the, the engagement party between uh, Trump and, and Russia was actually when Kissinger met Kushner at a meeting at uh, the Time Warner building orchestrated by the Time Warner executives, same right. people who at the time brought you CNN, uh, same people still run CNN today. And they, they made this meeting happen and Jared met uh, Kissinger. And that's when this, the longer road all the way to that Mayflower address where they started talking about the foreign policy of the Trump campaign, it began earlier on at that Time Warner meeting when Kushner and Kissinger got to know each other. And then they brought in Dmitry Symes, who was the a, a Russian agent, there's no other way to describe him, to help facilitate a lot of, of the negotiation around what, was, what Trump was going to say at that Mayflower address. And in fact, the whole foreign policy for, for the United States. So uh, based on what Russia really wants, and it was really Russia's foreign policy for the right. United States. That, and that's what we got. And so Kissinger's uh, giving advice here to, to Jared to pass on to Donald Trump is quite, is quite fascinating. And some of the detail here is equally fascinating. You know, at one point it says here, DJT shouldn't feel the need to have a complete answer on all foreign policy because there's a lot of nuance. Um, because I uh, just say he doesn't have, <laughs> he doesn't yet, he doesn't yet have that since he has just a candidate for instance, in Russian, when they asked him about the jets buzzing the warships, he needs to know, was the ship doing routine path or in place it shouldn't have been? In other words, right. was the was it actually transgressing uh, on Russian waters or was it just doing something that they would normally do, suggesting that, they, that there's an alternative reason that the warships right. were buzzed? And that's, that's another Russian talking point right there. And that's just kind of stuff that they were talked about all the way through this entire administration. These is Russian talking points coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. And here they are being conveyed by Jared Kish, uh, to, to Jared Kushner from Kissinger. And it's uh, unbelievable. I know. And listen, the subtext of these memos, the way I see them and based on my experience with Trump and, and, and Jared is like, hey, guys, Trump's a dumbass and he doesn't understand anything. So let's warn the people that need to advise him that we really need to hammer these talking points home and make sure he doesn't make any mistakes on behalf of our true interests, which are the Russians and, and paying back paying them back for delivering them the election and for the help in, in helping them beat Hillary Clinton with giving them all that information. Kissinger a lot more deeply in terms of what his role was. If he's the guy who's actually advising Donald Trump, um, uh, Trump on his foreign policy stances and how he appears in public, I mean, he really is acting as a conduit there to, to Vladimir Putin and to get information to Donald Trump. I'm sure there's a lot more where this comes from because it's really interesting that, that uh, Kissinger was so engaged and that and Jared Kushner was the guy who's, who's you know, passing on all this information from one, one side to the other. Yes, and it shows the outsized role that Kushner had from the beginning. And and th remember, Kushner's a kid who's Netanyahu used to come and sleep in his bed yeah. when he visited Kushner's dad in Jersey. Yeah. So he had this sort of like audacious familiarity with these folks on the world stage. Now, there's yeah. that story of when he tried to set up the back channel with Russia after they got elected and then was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I was just trying to save time. He's trying to set up like a secure channel that the US wouldn't be eavesdropping on so he could cut his deals with the Russians. Like that's insane, but that's the audacity of the guy I knew.
somebody yeah. who wants to rule the world and isn't afraid to go talk to Kissinger, who's Darth Vader, yeah. <laughs> basically in foreign policy, and attach him to his idiot father-in-law. It's interesting you, know, I, you mentioned the 1968, it's a Chanot affair, I think it was known as, when Kissinger basically created a delay in the negotiations so that Nixon could be elected. The war was going to be over. The North mm -hmm. Vietnamese had come to the table in Paris. They were, Both sides of Vietnam were ready to make peace. And Kissinger, being the chief advisor to Nixon, said, if that happens, you're not getting elected. They'll, you know, Johnson won't drop out or another Democrat will get elected. But if the Vietnam War ends, you're not getting in there, buddy. Right, the right. only way you're getting elected is being this tough war law and order Republican, because our country was falling apart at the time. So he delayed, he, he scuttled the peace deal. And think of how many lives that cost. That was 1968. The bloodiest years were still ahead. The war didn't end until mm -hmm. 1975. Imagine being a guy who died in the jungle in 1972 because Kissinger wanted his buddy to get into office. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting as well that you spoke about Deng earlier on. It's uh, the Chanot affair is named after a, a, a Chinese spy, actually. I think she, she at least uh, for the Vietnamese, was the backdoor conduit for uh, Nixon. And she was a larger-than-life figure, like Deng in many ways, in the United States, in Washington, D.C. At the time, she throw, throw these fabulous parties. She got to know all the power brokers. And, right. and they used her to get information to the South Vietnamese about delaying the talks. Uh, they were able to do that because she was able to, uh, to contact them directly. And so the Chanot is the person who was, who was part, of that, part of what made that happen. So that really is interesting uh, when you think about that and, and Deng. It's very interesting. And if there's one blessing in this time, it's that these kind of things we're discussing, they used to be like the men in the shadows yeah. did these things and pulled these strings, the masters of war, as Bob Dylan would sing about. Mm -hmm. You didn't really get a full picture of who was like pulling the strings behind this stuff unless you, you really dug deep and the Pentagon Papers. Like it was really hard to get any kind of light shined on what are we were doing. Uh, that was all the way through the 80s. Now it's... If, if there's one blessing to how disastrously incompetent Trump and these guys were, it's that we can connect these dots a lot easier if we're willing to. Oh, you know, we can get this information. Jason Leopold can get these documents through FOA. There's an access to information now like never before. We need programs like you're, like what you're doing here. We need people to really concentrate and we need somebody to put this all together and we need a government institution that everybody trusts to start telling the truth. Because part of the problem is you got Fox News and you got the GOP that are just running on a platform of lies now. Absolutely, which is insane. I mean, one of these other documents that came out, I know it also is a bit reflective of these times we were talking about with Kissinger and, and Nixon, but this is a email, I think, from Roger Stone to Bannon. And it's actually a bad at the top. It says, let's talk ASAP. But it's responding to Roger Stone saying, Trump can't still win this, but time is running out. Early voting begins in six weeks. I do not know how to win this, but it ain't pretty, it looks like. Um, campaign has never been good at, at playing the new media. Lots to do. Let me know when you can talk. Or, so this is uh, him to, uh, sending that to Steve Bannon and Bannon uh, saying, let's talk ASAP. So I don't know what Bannon did in, the, in this whole period of time. And it certainly appears like he was involved in, in, in working for the Chinese because he had some involvement with them historically. Uh, he worked with Eric Prince, who worked with the Chinese. So that's some connection there. He worked on Cambridge Analytica, which we know about. All of that actually went to the Chinese too at the end. When all the Cambridge Analytica data was bundled up, it was bought by Emerdata, which was partly an Emirati company, but really backed by the Chinese as well. So it's interesting that he would turn to Steve Bannon, of all people, to say, get us out of this mess. We're six weeks from, from early voting and it doesn't look like he can win. 
Because Bannon is the dark arts guy. He's the poor man's Henry Kissinger. He's the mobile meth lab version of Henry Kissinger. (laughs) And and, and let's just say one more thing. We can't let this segment pass without mentioning a Roger. You just mentioned Roger Stone. He had a life-size tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. (laughs) So Nixon's looking over all of this in a way, too. It's a joke, but it's worth noting. These are guys who idolized Tricky Dick. Didn't didn't Nixon open up China as well to trade? Wasn't that his whole thing? Right. That was his big diplomatic (laughs) thing. He's one success. Excellent point. And Buchanan and the right had lauded him for that for the last 50 years. Whenever Nixon's name was dragged through the mud, they say, hey, if not for Watergate, he would have gone down as one of the greatest American presidents precisely for that, for opening up trade with China. Interesting. Which allowed the Republicans and their base in corporate America to move all their factories overseas and destabilize the middle class of America, which is now Trump's base because they're so disenfranchised and disaffected. Those were all Democratic voters before. That was strong union labor and jobs. People made 30 bucks an hour and put two kids through college working in a factory that Nixon opened up trade. And all of a sudden in the 80s, Reagan sent all those factories over to China and it broke that part of the country that is now getting exploited. And the same people are profiting. Oh, that's exactly the tragedy. And this is really does seem like a century-long play we've been through, uh, hopefully at the end of it. But it certainly is, when you look back, you can't avoid looking at all these uh, these parallels and similarities, the same players, the same people, the same environment. And it all seems to add up. I'm going to take a break. We're going to tell you more about Rudy Giuliani because we've got some really interesting stuff around that. Tonight's 100-day special event is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I've heard it from so many people. People. The one thing that's changed since January is their sleep. Not waking up worrying about what the president might have done or said or tweeted makes the world of a difference. I don't think I had a good solid night's sleep in four years. And it wasn't only the president. My 10-year-old mattress, which started life as a 12-inch foam mattress, had shrunk to an 8-inch mattress. And getting out of bed was often more of a slide than a bounce. It was time for a new mattress. Illy Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Changing the course of a country can take a village. Changing the course of your sleep takes a quiz. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. That's helixsleep.com slash narrative for up to $200 off and two free pillows just for you. You and I are going to do one of those together one of these days. Sounds good. Talk about, it actually is a very good mattress, I will say. I enjoy the sleeps much more. In fact, it's hard to get up sometimes for today's show. It's like take a little nap. And like, I got to get up. I got to go. So let's talk a little bit about what's coming up tomorrow morning, which is when Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is having a revision, a review, I don't know what they want to call it, of whether to allow Donald Trump to return to the platform of Facebook. Now, he's, he says this is the normal process, and they've got an appeals board, an independent appeals board that he selected, by the way, but it's independent. And uh, uh, that appeals board has heard and investigated whether Donald Trump should be allowed back onto Facebook, and the announcement comes tomorrow morning. And the replatforming of Donald Trump might be ahead of us, which seems insane because the reason we've been enjoying those good nights of sleep in the recent past is because Donald Trump has not been on social media. Uh, the fact that he's not been on Twitter and not been on Facebook has been why we've been able to have somewhat you know, reasonable political process without too much conflict and too much uh, craziness going on. And now here we are having to deal with this potentially again. What are your thoughts on that, Noel? 
I think it's insane. And I don't have a lot of confidence that Mark Zuckerberg won't do the wrong thing <laughs> because every opportunity he's had so far, he's done the wrong thing. He cares more about money. And I think Trump forced his hand the other day. Yesterday, Trump announced his own website from the desk of Donald Trump, which allowed his followers or the people who log onto the website to link his little missives out to the right. Really right. Like he originally right. threatened the whole social media platform. Right. And now he's come up with a blog which I mean, look, blogs are important. I write one myself, but it's it's not exactly a platform for everybody to engage in in the way that uh, Parler is or anything like that. Uh, abso absolutely. And obviously he claims he invented some new thing. He invented a blog. You know? <laughs> he took us back to 1996. Exactly. But, but I think Mark sees that. And I think Mark is, and I think Mark's mind is already made up. I, I would be shocked if they upheld the suspension. Let's hope they do because it's dangerous. But I'm sure as we've discussed on this show, Mark knows where his bread is buttered. Yeah. Facebook, let's face it. That's where the Trump guys are. Most of them aren't on Twitter. They're on Facebook. You know? that, the one thing that, uh, that he wants more than anything else is uh, better access to the Chinese market, actually. You know, there's a good argument for him to be influenced that way, too. That is the number two story. So the number one story is that Rudy Giuliani continues to be. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.